Hello and welcome back to the Gestaltung Podcast. My name is Martin Groschwald and as always, I'm your host of this little podcast series where we talk about everything related to mobility design. And in this week's episode, I have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Lawrence Vandenacker, the VP of Group Design for Renault. And we will be talking about the topic of how to reshape a brand. So what did he have to do to reshape Renault when he first started? What are the challenges that he has right now and also what he sees in the future? So without further ado, please enjoy the conversation and let's go. Lawrence, welcome to the Gestalten Podcast. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, how how are you this morning on a Friday when we are recording? I hope all is well with you. Hi, Martin. Well, I'm uh, working from home, as we do these days. So that's uh, actually quite nice. Uh, I never thought I would uh, enjoy it as much. Uh, so that's one of the positive aspects of the COVID uh, era. But uh, to be honest, um, it's it's a very interesting period, very exciting on the one side, because a lot of things are in flux and in change and in transition. Our company is struggling through a big crisis, as you know. And at the same time, uh, you, it, it's a bit scary at times because uh, we have to pose ourselves some existential questions. Uh, things that were true a few years ago are not longer true. So it's also a time where you really have to be awake. You have to be really uh, on the ball to make sure that uh, that you don't lose it you know so it's a, a very intense period i would say yeah and uh, i mean i i really appreciate that you 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 join us for a conversation here and uh, to all the listeners of course as well because we want to talk about a topic that I framed a little bit as managing design uh, because obviously you are in a role at uh, at Renault, which is, I think, almost the highest level you can achieve within you know within a creative environment in the in the automotive or in the transportation design industry. But we go before we go into a bit more detail um, about this. Of course, is I want to ask you more like a fundamental question: What is good design for you? Um, well, I would say good. There's several layers to it. Good design for me is first a design that touches your heart. You know, a good design needs to be emotional. And as designers, we need to create a desire. So if a design is not desirable or doesn't touch your heart, it's it's not a good design. I think then once you have achieved that, I think a design also needs to make your life easier and it needs to make life in general uh, more beautiful. I think we have an obligation as designers to to make the world better, a, a better place, and to solve solutions. And the third layer for me is that the, a good design uh, needs to be responsible uh, in, in ecological terms, in, in, in uh, efficiency terms, and it needs to make, make the company profitable. There is also a business aspect to good design. If you have a beautiful design, but the company goes bankrupt, is it still a good design? You know, so for me, these three aspects together uh, make for a good design. So, if we take these three these three aspects, of course, a little bit into play, and um, we look at your day to day job, which is, I think, very much led also by business nowadays. You know, in terms of the reporting that you have towards the highest level to the C level at uh, at Renault as well. 
how in your current day-to-day activity, and if you work from home or if you're in the office, do you combine the skills of the creation or like the creative part of it, the leadership, of course, and then, of course, your management into your activities? I mean, you, I, I imagine you have so many different kind of layers that you have to discuss and overlook and obviously work with with your with your management team as well but how how do you combine all of, the, all of these skills in your in your day-to-day activity yeah it's true that that you switch continuously between these uh, things you know uh, there's i think it it depends i try to create an agenda for for my week uh, that is about a third linked to uh, review of, of design projects, the third linked to uh, management issues, and there are lots of them at the moment in this period. And normally, in normal times, I would have a third of my time dedicated to uh, traveling to my uh, satellite studios, my other design studios in the, in the rest of the world, or visiting motor shows, doing communication uh, activities, and, and, and so forth. So, just by designing your agenda, you, you try to you try to address all these issues. In the design reviews, obviously, you talk about uh, creativity. But in my current position, where I'm the EVP of corporate design for Group Renault, I know it's a it's a mouthful, um, but it means that I oversee the brands Renault, Dacia, Alpine, and Mobilize. Of course, I have very good people in place that do the day to day. Uh, work of the projects, uh, fantastic people in place. So when we talk creativity, it's I just bring as much of my experience as I can, and I try to help out where I can uh, in terms of positioning the projects, positioning the brands, preparing the, the, the projects and, and doing quality control. I think management is what I do much more these days because, I, as I said in the beginning, uh, all the companies are reinventing themselves. We need to reinventing. We need to reinvent the design team, uh, the things that we work on, which activities we would need to work on to survive in the future, to make our design organization, uh, as as you say, future proof. You know, and this is quite a new challenge for me, uh, because if you are living in a very evolutionary period of time in the auto industry, there's not a big need for this. But as we are in a revolutionary period, uh, it, it really poses the question of how you're going to work. And then I think the third one is leadership is, um, you need to know where you want to go to. And 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 thankfully, with the arrival of Luca de Mayo uh, and the presentation of the Renolution plan, he, have, he has some very, very strong ideas uh, of where Renault and the group need to go to. And so this is uh, extremely inspirational for us and it's up to me to to you know transform this inspiration into reality how would you define yourself right now obviously i mean you you had quite a few years of experience already but if if somebody would ask you right now are you more a creative manager or are you more a managing designer in the role that you have right now um well i i like to say i have a i, I come from a creative family uh, because my father was an architect and I have a brother and a sister, and my my brother has become an architect himself, and he's very rebellious and he's very creative. And my sister is a judge. And, <laughs> and, and I, I like to say that I'm right in the middle. I have left. I'm very left brain, right brain. You know, I'm, I'm really really in the middle between a judge and a and a, and a rebel. 
And I think this is probably what you need to be in my role. You need to have one foot in business and one foot in creativity. And uh, you cannot choose. You need to respect both. And how difficult for this was, I mean, how, how difficult was it for you to understand this? Because if you, if you look back and you obviously, I mean, you know, Renault is still a creative powerhouse. I mean, it's still, you know, seen as one of the most creative design studios in the world. And you see all these young kids coming in that are oftentimes obviously about, you know, creation and like, you know, really cool stuff. And how, 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 how difficult in your career was it to accept that, Hey, I need to be able to do both. And the higher I go, maybe, you know, the more I need to get an understanding of the business, how difficult was it for you? And how did you get there? What what helped you to understand the bigger sense of the business? Because it seems oftentimes that, let's say, design is this kind of styling area and the people say like, oh, let the artists do what they're doing best. But as you mentioned in the beginning, it's also a fundamental part of the business and the business needs to be understood. So how, what did you do to get to the level of to say, like, I feel comfortable in also the business Uh, in the business talk and not just the design talk. Yeah, I think I think the the key is is that when I when I was a young kid, uh, my dream was to become a car designer. And by becoming a car designer, it, it starts very small. You, my dream was to be able to make sketches, you know, cool car sketches, and that was all I was hoping for, in fact. And then when I was learning how to do some car sketches, my dream became to become a car designer in a car company. And that seemed to me like the non plus ultra, you know, of of, uh, of what you could achieve. So when I was 28 and I finally got into Audi uh, in the 90s, it, it was my dream come true. And and I would say that everything that happened after that, uh, I've considered a bonus. You know, for me, I had achieved what my what my childhood dream was. And then I think. It's like throwing a stone in the water and you see the circles, concentric circles, you know, stretch out and, and become bigger and bigger. And then I think I went through the, the, the period where you love design, you love a sketch, then you need to love how to make your sketch into a model, into, into a production car. Then when you get more responsibility, you become responsible for a production program or for a GAM, you know, a lineup of cars. Then if all goes well, you... You, you become responsible for a brand. Uh, and then in my case, I even became, uh, when I went to Group Renault, responsible for multiple brands. So I considered myself not anymore a car designer, but a designer of brands. And now I've, I've, I've become head of design for, for a multi-mark, multi-brand company. And now I consider myself a designer of the design team. You know, so the accent has has switched. And I think it's, It was never my goal to become a design director or the head of design for for a group. I think you're being pulled up in these things, and you find out that you that you along the way you you learn how to work with teams. You you find joy in working together with other departments, and then other people see that you get things done in a way that uh, respects the other other disciplines. Um, and they see that you are good at working in teams uh, and that you get results and that you're able to trade off, make the right trade-offs. And then I think you, you're being pulled up. Uh, I, I, th I really have a hard time believing that you can get there using your elbows. I think um, all the promotions that I've, I've, I was lucky to make is that people saw things in me that I didn't even know I, I saw in myself, you know. 
and then you try to 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 just uh, create uh, do what's right for the company. Mm-hmm. When you look back at some of the challenges on this way for you for you personally, and uh, you know you you have some let's say younger designer, somebody who wants to be in this kind of career path and not just you know not just do cars all 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 of their lives, but actually they can move into a career path like this. What are one of the one two things? that you have learned the most that you can always pass on something where you say like, look, this is from my experience, something that, you know, can obviously be almost applied to everybody to, to learn if you, if you want to move up some, some kind of position in a creative environment, this doesn't necessarily need to be in a car environment, but in a creative environment, what is the learnings that you've had that you could almost apply to everyone? Yeah, I think what's, what's most difficult for the designers and to, to, grow into your in your arsenal is to to transition from uh, one part of the job to another i'll give you a few examples um it's it's very often i find designers they're extremely good at at one part of the job say putting it sketching uh, or exteriors or interiors but then when you ask him to translate these sketches into models from 2d to 3d this is a bridge that is for some very hard to cross then what I notice is it's some for some people hard to cross the bridge from 3D to production, where all of a sudden it not only not only needs to look good, but you need to turn it into a feasible uh, product that is, has also the right price and the right content. And then um, one of the things that was for me really truly a very good uh, learning exercise is when I went from exterior, I started in exteriors in, in Audi. Um, then I went to the US and I became responsible for the brand imaging group and we looked, we worked a lot on concept cars. And concept cars was for me a perfect training ground in terms of learning all, all aspects of, uh, of design, exterior, interior, color materials, uh, the message of the concept car. Uh, a concept car, in my view, is kind of like the essence of a brand. It's like a perfume, you know, it's it's it has all the aspects of a brand in it in one product, and it needs to convey this message in 10 seconds or or 15 minutes. And so, for me, making concept cars was a really really good uh, exercise because everything needs to fit the exterior with the interior, the message, the communication, the colors, the show. So that was a great learning experience. And I think for many designers, another step that is quite difficult is to move from being the artist yourself and being the star player, if you will, because you need to have a lot of confidence in your own work and in yourself. Otherwise, you don't become a designer because a designer means you have a point of view that you think is relevant also to people beyond yourself. And then to make the switch to becoming, uh, 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 how can I say, it, it, to direct other designers to work in the right direction. This is very tough for many designers. To, to get the best out of other designers because you are so used to working for yourself for such a long time. And then I think once you have learned that, another difficult step I felt, or not a natural step, is that you go, and I, I had this for the first time when I became design director in Mazda in 2006, is where you have to inspire because you have so many designers working for you you cannot talk to them individually anymore. You know, it, nothing is easier than a small team with five to ten people because you see them every day. But once you move one level up where you have 100 people or 200 people or 300 people, then you need to start to inspire them truly. And they need to start doing things 
even without you being there all the time to give them clear directions. And and this and this was uh, this is generally uh, I think difficult, but also very exciting if you if you succeed. Did you have help on the way? I mean, obviously, uh, there's usually mentors and you know people you can learn from, obviously on higher level positions as well. But you know, things learning things such as to delegate. Do you, do you think this comes either naturally to people? Do you think they can learn that because? It's it's also taking a little bit, let's say, of ego back. If just to say, like, okay, I've now I've been the the, the focus point of the design of the creation part, and um, now I have to delegate the people and give them a direction, but not always take it hands on, which would be the the natural thing for a lot of people to do in these kind of decisions, uh, that directions. Do do you learn that? Is this just a feeling that you have to go through, or like a learning process you have to go to, or do you get support from the outside? Um. Well, the, the the reality is, Martin, that if if you you come into a position and if you don't delegate, you won't survive. You know, I mean, because the amount of projects grows exponentially. Um, and again, the first time you have to delegate is probably the most uh, difficult because you need to be really confident, ironically, to delegate. You know, and you need to give confidence. Uh, to the people that you're delegating it to, to the designers that you're delegating to, that they can get there. Even if their initial uh, tries or results, obviously they don't have the experience that you have. So what is, I think what is toughest is to, to delegate a project to a designer and to see him uh, or her struggle. And they have to go to that experience, otherwise they won't learn. You know, You need to, to a certain degree, throw them in the deep and be available for them if they ask for your help, but don't be too present, you know, uh, because then you get into micromanaging. And uh, and I think I've I've seen with myself that once I was presented with uh, with a new challenge, for instance, um, when I came in Renault in 2009, and we needed to develop a new design strategy from scratch, it it took me six months. I had very clear ideas after two weeks, but it took us six months to find the right expression and form and design, the new front end, the new signature, the new identity. And we had to go through three, four different uh, pieces, you know, very quickly before we could get there. And But you'd need to go through this stage. You need to get all these bad ideas out of your system before you find the right one. So I think the key with delegation is that you allow the, the designers to go through the same stages, you know, and you know that they're going to get there and you shouldn't jump on them too quickly. Otherwise they lose their confidence. Mm. I want to jump a little bit on, on this, on this challenge that you had with creating a new strategy for, for Renault, because it's obviously well-documented. There've been multiple presentations um, about it as well, where you explain it, what, what, what the idea behind it is as well. But I want to take a step a step back actually from that and uh, and just to say like you come in you obviously get the task from the from the from the C level management and you know um you you succeed Patrick Lecomont who's highly respected um and you come into Renault and uh, you're being told it's like we need a new strategy taking away a little bit of the side of design 
what were the, what what did you do in the beginning to just get the people to buy in? Because uh, of course, design is the one thing, but you probably need to get marketing to buy in. Engineering needs to buy into these kind of things. The the the, the, the CEO needs to buy in. Uh, obviously, uh, the the CFO, so the financial people, need to buy in. So before you actually start implementing these new strategies and thinking about them in details, like what what did, what what was your role to get all these people on your side? Were they just super open right away, or were they just looking like, oh, here's this new guy coming in, like? Uh, let's let's be a bit more careful of what uh, what he has in mind. I think um, when I when I joined Renault in two thousand and nine, uh, it was right at uh, the height of the crisis. You know, in the end of two thousand eight, the whole world uh, went into uh, not a lockdown, but uh, the financial markets uh, imploded. So, but it, and by the time I joined in April, um, uh, it was really all hands on deck. And I remember uh, when Carlos Ghosn introduced me to the to the uh, uh, not the board but the directors. He said we're always we're always uh, happy when people want to join uh, Group Renault, but we're even more happy when they want to join Group Renault in a time of crisis. <laughs> so it was a it was a nice it was a nice introduction. And we also knew, and this was maybe a blessing and a curse, uh, Renault design was at the end of a cycle and I needed to start the new cycle. And this was clear to everyone. So the good thing was that people were really ready to change. Uh, they had been waiting for a long time for a change. And so here I was and uh, they were ready for change. The, 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 the tough part was, okay, we want to change, but in which direction? And I felt the pressure uh, immediately, you know, and it wasn't a case, Martin, where you could say, uh, you know what, guys, uh, I, 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 I'm not French. I came from Japan. I've never worked here. Give me a year. I don't know Renault very well. Give me a year to figure out what I want, and then, uh, and then I'll tell you. There was just no time for this. So when you, what happens then is you, you go back um, to your intuition, and I felt I had to trust my intuition uh, more than my reason. Uh, because we had to go very quick. So this is how I came up with the idea of organizing the different types of vehicles, which I felt, you know, we had such a, we, we, we did everything in Renault from, from LCVs, commercial vehicles, to Espas, to Twingos, to Renault Sport, to Zoes, to Twizzies. How can I, in, on earth, how can I make sense of this? And this is how I came up with the cycle of life that would make cars for every stage in life. And life obviously was very much linked to voiture à vivre. And this idea of the flower of the Marguerite, I showed it to the finance guys, showed it to marketing, showed it to my designers. Uh, and it felt really right, you know? Uh, and it felt, and everyone, I said to my CEO, my boss at the time, Patrick Pellata, if you let me, play with this, I think I can do something with this. If you let me do this, I can, I can turn this into something. And uh, he gave me just a, a, a window of opportunity of a, of a few months to turn it into uh, something. And then we created the Zier and the first Clio, the Zier, the concept car and the Clio, and then we were off and running. So it was a very intense period. I didn't sleep very well, I can tell you in the beginning, <laughs> because we needed to come up with an idea very quickly that also had the legs to go on for a few years, you know, because mm -hmm. this, is the, this is the problem. Of course. How, 
how did you share this pressure? I mean, uh, you, you know, we all know how complex the mobility design sector is nowadays, and in particular cars, of course. But how how did you start this kind of process for yourself? So I imagine it was an idea, but then you needed people around you to to bring this to life. Was this a small team? Was did you did you include the entire design team in the beginning, or how how was this kind of project? best doable for you in such a short time frame? I think um, what I learned is that you you don't need to convince everyone, especially in the beginning, and, and you don't have to time to convince everyone. What I need to do is convince just a few guys or girls in the team that can do it. And so um, I wanted to make a big statement with the first concept car, which turned out to become the Zier. I wanted it to be a statement of, of people falling in love with again with the brand, because I felt that people had been falling out of love with Renault, but that there was a people like the brand. We need to give them a reason to like us. And so I did two two things. We picked uh, the first production car, which was going to be key. Uh, I drew kind of a line in the sand saying everything, because as you, when you start, you know, it takes two, three years before your stuff comes out. So you you say, okay, this, 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 this is on the way. I will let it go. But the new Clio, which was just, had just started, I cannot miss this opportunity. The new Clio needs to become the symbol of change. And then we developed a concept car program, starting with uh, the Desire, where I asked the team to make me a Leticia Casta on four wheels, you know. I, I felt we to to symbolize love. We needed a project that just makes that is just drop that drop that gorgeous. And we opened up the competition to the whole design team. And I remember in June, uh, so maybe six weeks after I had started, we had a big design review where everyone could put their ideas on it. And we didn't we hadn't given them more than the theme love, uh, making a beautiful car. Uh, that can create a link with uh, Clio. And I looked, I think the guys had really, really um, uh, pulled out all the stops. And I think we had 200 meters of sketches, Martin, in the room. And I remember before going into the room, I was nervous because I knew if I go into the room, I need to find a spark, you know? I need to find... This, 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 this thing that could set uh, this team on fire. And um, I found uh, a few sketches from uh, Jan Yassan. Um, and I decided to put all my eggs in one basket. And so we didn't do five propositions. We didn't do uh, three proposals, then two, then one. I said, this is it, and this is what we're going to do. And that turned out to become the Desire and the Kiel. So, and then, you know, then it just radiated from there and it became mm. what it became. Let me ask you this. How, how you, you mentioned you had sleepless nights in this process. W were you scared that uh, you could, you, you survive six months and then you have to go again? Well, yeah. I mean, I think these are the types of jobs where uh, you cannot hide, you know, uh, Either what you want and what you like to do is good for the company, and good for the company means that it it helps them to sell, uh, make your profit, you make your cars more desirable and more profitable. 
and it has a positive impact on the sales. And and if it doesn't work, then then it, the job is too important to do it media, in a mediocre way, you know. And you have to take the responsibility. So, what was a bit tricky is uh, I, I I had been having a very nice time in Mazda, and I to come to Renault, we moved ten thousand kilometers, we cut all our ties. There was no way back. So, but if I feel that Renault, you would have never spoken to me now, you know. So I, I, I did feel like uh, it's all or nothing. And it was, a, it was, it would have been less risky to stay at Mazda, to be honest. But uh, it was a nice challenge at the same time. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about challenges in, in, in general. You mentioned in the beginning, obviously, we're going through a time at the moment where change is kind of forced on you um, economically. But also, of course, from from a political and cultural point of view, the expectations on transportation are changing quite a bit right now. And um, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of Chris Bengel's idea of a, a revolution and then an evolution, and then we go back to a revolution again and just try to change things up quite a lot. Now, you have gone through a revolution with with Renault. When 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 you hear somebody like Chris say these kind of things. How do you feel about him? Do you think he's do you think he's right? Do you think you have to go through a revolution, evolution, and then you know change things over again, or do you think there's other methods that um, that uh, that needs to change? Because obviously you're going through change right now, um, so it seems it feels a bit more like you're going through your second Renault revolution, and also with uh, what uh, Luca De Meo says with the Renault revolution, it, it it feels like you know. You, you, you're back to where you were, uh, <laughs> maybe a little ago, bit yeah. more settled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I must say, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of life cycles, and I believe there's a a starting point and an end point where you have to completely reinvent yourself, um, or leave, you know, to reinvent yourself. But I, I, in principle, I agree with with revolution, evolution, revolution. It's just that that is a cycle that happens when the industry is chugging along. I think what we are living through right now with the uh, transformational change in uh, powertrains, uh, energy change, if you will, with the connectivity, with autonomous driving, uh, with uh, cars as a, as a service, and uh, mobility as a service, I think we're actually living uh, a revolution that has been imposed on us, you know, that is not planned by ourselves. Uh, and now it has become really, do you react or not? Uh, and this will, there will be a shakeout, you know, there, the rules up until yesterday don't, uh, they don't, uh, uh, they're not valid anymore. And I would have never thought if, to be honest, if you asked me 10, 20 years ago, I would, I would have sworn that the, car world would be five super big companies that would have gobbled up all the different small brands, you know, that there would have been a converging of uh, industries and that we would all end up in a Volkswagen group, a Toyota group, uh, an alliance group, etc. And in fact, the opposite is happening. It's like the beginning of the 20th century when in every garage people were making cars and there were 300 brands in uh, Paris alone. You know, it feels now everyone is uh, building an electric car in their garage uh, and has super high ambitions. And uh, obviously, 99% of these brands and initiatives won't exist anymore 10 years from now. 
but uh, we're living in this period where anything seems possible. So, uh, and anything seems possible means also that big dogs can can uh, not have a future, you know. So, I think I, I, one more time. I think in 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 when Chris was at BMW, it was a relatively stable period, uh, and I think his theory was very valid. But now I think the world has become more volatile, and we need to become very agile as big as big companies. When we look at like you know what design is nowadays, and uh, if we look for even like ten years back, fifteen years back, you know um, we were talking about a physical presence, pretty much exterior, interior, everything that is the traditional car design uh, or transportation design. Now we have digital contents that come into place. We have screens, we have technology and, you know, you've mentioned, uh, you know, mobility as a service moving on and all these kind of things. But we also see that the importance of design is, is moving up quite a bit in the, in the companies as well. So if you look into your own position right now, and you're obviously coordinating the brands and the entire thing. It's just, how, how do you see the role is changing? Like it's, it, it cannot just be on the physical presence anymore. It's the digital presence. It's the branding itself. It's, um, it's so many more things. I mean, I had a conversation recently, which is even about company culture, which can be very much defined by, by design decisions as well. How do you see this moving forward? Yeah, this is a very, it's a very good point because uh, when I think back uh, at my career, life used to be quite simple. You know, I would come into work and sketch all day and go home and be happy. Um, and now I think design has really, um, it, first it, it, it has gained a place in the companies, but now design has become uh, a social economical issue and everyone confronts you with all aspects of design, you know, um, now if you make a car, you need to justify the car, not only by its looks, but also is it well produced? Uh, have you taken care of the ecological factors? Just being electric is not enough. Chain of uh, development. If you let your batteries uh, be shipped from uh, China, is it still uh, responsible? I mean, design has at the same time become much more important and at the same time has become also much more vulnerable or or uh, uh, to be to a certain degree uh, we need to become responsible very very quickly because we see that we have an impact on the ecosystem around us and so i think instead of complaining about this and the complexity about it it's, you need to embrace these challenges i think uh, this is key that Fundamentally, a, a designer needs to be optimistic. We need to have uh, we need to have the idea that we can change things for the better. And there are many people out there that love to look at the negative aspects or 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 the difficult aspects. But I think the designers are born optimists. So we need to be convinced that we can turn the world in a better place and our products in a better place, and we can true find better solutions than in the past. And I think once you lose your optimism, it's time to look for a different job, you know? Yeah. And I think this is the way to, to approach this uh, complexity. Now, if you look now ahead in the future, and I'm pretty sure you do that right now, if you say you're going through a lot of change right now um, as well, and you look into what the future design leader should, could, or maybe even has to be uh, moving forward, 
what kind of changes or challenges do you see for this next generation of leadership of management that will come into play in the next few years and you know 10 15 20 years where do they change or where are they different from maybe how you moved into the management position will they just be much more rounded in their abilities um will we see you know, maybe a much more general, generalistic point of view or will we maybe even see, you know, a design chief or somebody in your position that maybe doesn't even come from the physical uh, practice anymore, but actually comes from maybe the, the, the UI or the UX or something like that? Yeah, that's a very good, that's a very good question. I, I, I do think that um, just like uh, I'm surprised to find myself in the board of management, as a design chief, uh, but this is now this is since a few years the case. You know, ten years ago this was extremely rare. Uh, but Gordon Wagner uh, is in the board. Uh, in the board, it, it, this is becoming more natural. But I do think that there are more um, types of jobs that will be important, like everything that has to do with software development. Um, Whereas a car is very much still a hardware product, you know, I think this will be coming extremely important. But to go back to your question about what is needed, I think um, it, it's it's a mistake to think that you are either uh, as a as a as a design leader highly strategic and that's enough, or that you're highly on the details. I think the the key for a design leader is that. He can be strategic, but if it's necessary and you're running into a difficulty or, or complexity, you need to be able to go down to the nitty gritty and solve it right there and then go back up again. You know, And you need to have this flexibility, uh, dexterity in your mind to be able to handle the, the, the big picture, but also go down and, and solve the, the last millimeter. And this counts for design, but I think this counts for many people in management. You cannot say, I just stay at a high level and let other ones solve the details. This is not good enough. So respect, uh, respect the big and respect the small, I think is key. And then I, I, I cannot help that a designer still needs to be an estate, an estate. You know? we, need, we need to love beauty. We need to love... Um, finding uh, beautiful solutions. If not us, then who will do this, you know? And at the same time, you're absolutely right. We need to become much more um, sensible to the world around us. And we need to become much more open to the processes, the ecosystem around us, uh, partnerships, other types of industry. We, we will be forced to leave our uh, ivory tower you know more than ever and 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 this is i think you don't study for this you grow into this it took me a lifetime to get to, to be able to do what i i hope i can do now and i'm find out i'm learning more now than i did when i was a young designer you know and i feel the need to learn more now than i did when i was a young designer so i think um this is this is a lovely a lovely ending to the conversation. I think you know coming coming back to the idea of you know that life is learning and uh, you know we should never stop and, and no matter what kind of position you're in, 
um, is is absolutely key. And I think you know this is uh, to all the people who listen to this. I mean, I know it starts from you know from students, but we also have some very high levels VPs listening to the podcast as well. Um, I think this is this is a fundamental message. It's like never stop learning, and you know, get in get inspired, and like you know, uh, by everybody, like you know, find collaborations that can help you, that can that can push for you to learn something new. Because as soon as you stop learning, um, you, you probably get stale, and then you have a problem. Not just in terms of your creativity, but also probably with your bosses. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, and and I think the. Um don't lose your curiosity, you know, because to, to keep learning, you need to stay curious. And uh, once you're losing that, then then it's time to, to look around, you know. But thankfully, there is uh, there's no lack of challenges for us. And I, at the same time, I'm convinced the world needs us, you know, the world needs, the world needs good design. And so we're going to try our very best, Martin, I promise you. I'm very much looking forward to that. But before I let you go, um, and first of all, thank you, of course, already for the the last uh, bit more than half an hour. But you will get, of course, all the questions every guest gets on our on our little episodes and our little podcast over here. So, first question is: Which creative mind, and this doesn't need to be somebody from the car industry, this can be anybody, has inspired you the most in your career and personal life? Um, well, for, in, in my case, I think it is somebody from the car business. It's uh, Jay Mays. Uh, he is the reason I, I wanted to desperately join Audi because he had designed the Audi Avos. Um, and I, I just fell in love. Uh, I was so admirative of this car. And then I had a chance to work with uh, Jay and he told he taught me lots of things about design and also about brands. And then uh, he is the person that, that put me in a, in a job in Mazda uh, at the time. Which um, I'll be him forever grateful for. You know, he's always seen more in myself than I than I, than myself. So he's definitely the person that has both inspired me and influenced my career the most. Question number two: Which project you didn't participate in, you would have absolutely loved to be part of? And again, this is not a car question. You can open up anything to watch that. Okay, right. I, I can't help myself. It, it would have been the Audi TT. I, I, yeah. <laughs> The first Audi TT, uh, which happened right under my nose with Freeman Thomas and uh, Martin Longmore and uh, Romulus Rust. And I just felt this was the, the coolest car I'd ever seen in my life. And, and, and uh, to be part of that studio at that time in the early 90s uh, was just amazing. I mean, you have to imagine, if I think about it, it seems uh, ridiculous. We had a small design studio uh, of exterior designers with uh, Thomas Ingelat, with Peter Schreier, with Jay, with Freeman Thomas, with uh, Dirk van Brakel, uh, Luke Donkerwolke, uh, Klaus Potthoff. Uh, I mean, it was just one of these things where you find in hindsight uh, that there was an amazing amount of talent at the same time in the right place. And yet we complained every day, you know, <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as usual. Yeah, that's fun. All right. Last but certainly not least, this is the car question, like, you know, the proper car question. If I give you a blank check, which car would you buy? Ooh, uh, there would be more multiple cars, to be honest. I, I, I'd All love, right, go on. I'd love to have a Porsche 911 Targa. Uh, I'd love to drive in the in the Renault 5, uh, and I'd love to uh, try out the new Alpine that we're working on. 
So you're, you're teasing us a little bit of some stuff that's coming out very, very soon. So uh, I, I, I do appreciate that. So now you're making us all, you know, quite excited for the new Alpine. One foot in business. Huh? <laughs> uh, Lawrence, thank you very, very much for the time. It's uh, highly appreciated. And, uh, you know, you're a busy man. So I really have to say thank you in the name of all the listeners uh, for joining us on the episode. Um, Merci beaucoup. Yeah, danke well, uh, I think is uh, what yeah, you guys are saying as close. well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, to all the listeners, once again, thank you for listening in. I hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation uh, with uh, Lawrence van der Nacke. And uh, as always, please do not forget to follow us on social media, to uh, rate us on the various platforms that you're listening to us. And you will hear back from us very soon in about a couple of weeks' time with the next episode. So until then, thank you. And Lawrence, thank you very much. See you soon. 